We are starting a new series for four weeks called Transformed, and we're looking at the second chapter of the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and to make this come to life for us, last year I went to Ephesus, the ancient site in modern-day Turkey, and we've been doing kind of a little vignette from that archaeological site, and today we're going to visit an area, and we're going to talk to you briefly about three kinds of rulers who existed in those days, part of the government system, and we're going to be reminded that it doesn't matter your status in life. That's not what gives you a position in Christ. It has nothing to do with our money. It has nothing to do with our background, our, our education, or any of that stuff. It has to do with grace. So watch this. I'm standing here in front of the Pritaneum. This is the town hall of the city of Ephesus. This is where the business of the town was conducted here in the financial district. There were three main leaders here. One of them was known as the Pritaneus. He was like the mayor of the town. And then you had the Agoronomos. This individual was responsible for overseeing sales, taxes, anything that had to do with finances in the town. You could call him perhaps the secretary of treasury here. The third person was the Grammatus. The Grammatus was the notary public for the town, took care of all the legal documents, making sure that things were written down in a proper way. Now, most of the believers who came to Christ in the early church in the book of Acts, most of them were slaves. I want to remind you and encourage you in this series that no matter what your status is in life, that in Jesus Christ we've been given a very high position. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 6. He said, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of this or not today, but you have been raised up in Christ. You have been seated in Christ in heavenly places. In God's sight, you and I have status. We have position. Now, it's not our own status or our own positioning, but it's our status and position in Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you as we move through the book of Ephesians together to take to heart the fact that you belong to God and that you're not just a common person in God's sight. You're extraordinary in His sight because you belong to His Son. The Bible says that you and I have been made joint heirs with Him. I can't think of a greater position to have than to be adopted into the family of God and to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So while the ancients had their positions, and while we moderns have our positions in society of power and notoriety, there's no greater notoriety than to be called a child of God. Father, we thank you so much for loving us so much and for calling us to be your children. And this morning as we talk about going from a state of being condemned to a state of being transformed, I pray that you'd fill us fresh with a sense of your love and grace in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Well, last November, there was a plane accident in Turkey. An airplane crashed there, an MD-83. It was on its way to central Turkey to a place called Esparta when all of a sudden, without any warning, it veered completely off course and crashed into a mountainside, killing all 57 people aboard. The civil authorities, the civil air authorities there in Turkey did an investigation and what they discovered was there, the weather was not a problem. There was no evidence that there was a fire on board. And from what they could tell from all the systems that were left, there was nothing technologically wrong. All they know is that plane just suddenly veered off course. I want to read for you 
a synopsis of the report that was finally written. Analyzing the available data from the flight data recorder, the authorities have declared that the accident was probably caused by pilot error. Now, it says probably, don't know for sure, by pilot error as a result of the condition known as spatial disorientation. The pilot is believed to have lost the sight of line for the horizon and instead of trusting the flight instruments, diverted the aircraft to the route where the crash occurred. One wrong turn caused that plane and all those people to die. It is one wrong turn that has caused all of us to face certain death in our lives. We too have all died. We have all crashed. We have all burned, so to speak. And Paul tells us it's because we took a wrong turn. Paul says it's because we diverted from the correct flight path that God has us on that led to our death. Now I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians in the second chapter and I want us to look at the analysis, the report on what happened there and then we're going to visit the crash site. Ephesians chapter 2, always bring your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2 and I want to begin reading at verse 1 as we investigate the analysis of what happened to us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it says, As for you, that means us as well, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's judgment or of wrath. And the word that Paul uses there is the word necros, from which we get the word death. And that word literally translated means a corpse, a lifeless corpse. And Paul says to us that all of us were, maybe some of us in this room this morning still are, a spiritually lifeless corpse. We are spiritually dead. There is no spark of eternal life in us. There is no vitality. There is no hope of a true future in us. But all of us, at least at one time in our lives, had that word written over us, necros, spiritually dead. Now, what led to our death? Paul uses two terms. He says what led to our death was, first of all, our transgression, which resulted in our sin. Now, that word transgression is better translated trespass. Have any of you ever been someplace and seen a sign that said, no trespassing here? Let me see your hands if you've seen one of those. Are any of you the type who, when you saw that sign, it was like saying, don't touch wet paint. You had to cross over and walk there anyway. Much more honest service than the last service, right? But we've all seen those signs, right? I've got one up here. It says... No trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. And if you're in Texas, it goes on and it says to the fullest extent of the law. All right? Okay? No trespassing, violators be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. That's what it means to trespass. To trespass means to deviate from the normal course. It means to cross a boundary illegally. In other words, it means to know I'm not supposed to go there, but I go there anyway. I'm going to go the direction I want to go. 
It means to take a wrong turn. The next word Paul uses is the word sin. And that word means to miss the mark. Kind of like a a person shooting an arrow with a bow. And that arrow takes off and it doesn't come anywhere near the bullseye. It goes off to the left, to the right, to the top or to the bottom. But it does not hit the bullseye. So the picture Paul has in mind is that one time you and I were kind of walking along in the right course of life. okay, And then all of a sudden we made a choice. We decided to take a left turn and go across the boundary where it said no trespassing. We stepped across, and at that moment, guess what? At that moment, we were prosecuted by God, and we were found to be in violation of his law, and the result was death. For the wages, the consequences of sin is death. Say that word with me. We don't like it, but let's say it anyway. Death. One more time. Death, that was the consequences, and you were, or perhaps still are, spiritually dead. Now, um, when did that happen to you? When were you on the right course and decided to take a left turn? Well, let's go to the scene of the crime. It's found in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. You can look there later on on your own. But, you know, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the creation story. And God creates the man. He puts man in the garden, remember? And then uh, God speaks to Adam. And God says to Adam, now look, all of the trees of the garden are yours. So I want everybody to raise their hand like this for a minute. Everybody, okay? All right, so you're like the garden. Lots of trees. All of the trees are yours. You can put your hands down, all right? And God says, you can have the fruit from all those trees. But the one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, that one belongs to moi, me. You are not to touch, you are not to eat that fruit. It's mine. All right? In other words, what God did is he said, you can go to any of the trees you want, but I'm hanging out my no trespassing sign on that one tree in the middle of the garden. Do not take its fruit. It's my portion. I'll handle the issues of good and evil. You just depend on me. Life is going to be good. But if you trespass, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, resulting in what? Death. And so, you know, God tells Adam, and then Adam goes on. He names all the creatures, remember, and there was not one found that was suitable for him and then God calls a sleep to come upon Adam and God takes a rib out of Adam and he fashions it into this beautiful woman who he gives the name Eve to and he brings Eve to Adam and Adam goes wow it's literally in the Hebrew it's like right he's just wow I can't whistle very good all right he's just very very impressed and uh, he's very happy. I mean, she's much better looking than a monkey. And it's just, you know, the whole deal is like, whoa, God, you know what you're doing. And everything is idyllic in the garden. Things are going on really well. And then the serpent shows up. And Satan uses a serpent. And the serpent says to the woman with the man standing right there, who doesn't open his mouth. I can't imagine him going like this, all right? Doesn't want to interfere. And the serpent says, How about that tree in the middle of the garden? Do you know what's going on? I'm paraphrasing. Do you know what's going on, Eve, Adam? God is keeping something from you that if you were to have it, you would be just like God. Just like him. 
you would be, you would, you would have eternal life. You could set your own course. You wouldn't have to depend on him anymore. And you and I know what Adam and Eve did. They were on the right course and they took a left turn and they stepped over to the tree and they took its fruit. Now, where were you and I in that whole deal? Well, instead of me trying to theologically explain it, I am, we're going to demonstrate it. So what I need this morning is I need an Adam, a man, no speaking parts. And I can wait all day because we have a lot of sugar out there for you. So thank you, Adam. Come on up, all right? You come on up too, all right? Because I need about four other volunteers. Come on up, all right? And I, 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 all right, some Utes. Just come up, all right? I'm not going to pick your hand out, all right? All right? All right, I got enough now, all right? No, come on up. I need at least one more girl, though, for crying out loud. All right, all right. So here's, here's what we're going to do. You are Adam, okay? And I want you to stand right up here, and we're all going to form like a, is it rumba, a rumba line, whatever. You put your hand on top of the shoulders, then the next one, the next one, Okay. What we need is a little music here. Okay, anyway, anyway, all right. All right, he's really ready to go. All right, very cool. All right, now, and then I need Abby to come down the middle. Abby is going to be our beautiful uh, tree of good, uh, of fruit of, of good and knowledge, of knowledge of good and evil, all right? She's going to hold her, her fruit there, all right? Now, listen carefully. The rest of you all have a part. Everybody raise their hands again. You're all trees. Now, think about the story for a minute. God says you can have the fruit from any tree that you want. But what does Adam do? Go ahead, Adam, and everybody follow him. Adam bypasses all those trees and goes to the one tree. Put your hands down. He goes to one tree, all right? Very good. All right. Cut the music. Thank you very much. All right. Grabs the apple. Come back, Adam. Come back. Come back. All the way up. All right. And, And he takes the apple, and he comes back up. All right, with that in his hand, he say, what are you doing? You'll get it in just a minute, okay? Line back up. Everybody keep their hands on everybody's shoulders. And while they're doing that, listen to what Paul says. Whoops. Listen to what Paul says, all right? Listen to what, all right? Listen to what Paul says. Romans chapter 5, he says this. He says, sin entered the world through what? One man and death, remember the consequences, through sin Excuse me. And death through sin, and in this way, death came to what? To all people, because what? All sinned. One trespass resulted, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all the people, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made what? Sinners. All right, give these folks a hand, keep the apple, Adam. Good job. You all right? All right, so do you see what happened? Okay, when Adam sinned and took that left turn, you and I sinned with him because we were in Adam. Genetically, we were in Adam. And you know what? This morning, we all come from different backgrounds, sizes, shapes, colors, ethnicity. We were all over the board. But guess what? We are all one family, and there's one way you can tell. We all have the same sin likeness, don't we? We don't we? Yes. We all sin. We all have a propensity to sin. So we're just all brothers and sisters. 
And we're just like our father Adam. And his sin has been imputed to us. Now, you may not like it, and I may not like it. You may say it's not fair, and I may say it's not fair. But it does not change the situation. Now, why did Adam go and take that apple? It's a very important question to ask. Adam took that fruit. We don't know if it's an apple, a fig, whatever it was. Adam took that fruit because he believed, because of Satan's lie, that if he had that fruit, he would be more alive than he already was. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me. Because a lot of what I said, many of you who are already followers of Jesus are going, I remember that in Sunday school. Some of you who are seekers, this is kind of eye-opening. It's interesting to you. But I want to talk now to, I want those of you who are already followers of Jesus, pay attention to me. Because even though, even though you have gone from being dead to becoming alive, you are still vulnerable to the very same temptation that got us all in trouble in the first place. And that is to think that the world has something for you that will make you more alive than what God has for you. And the ones who are really vulnerable to that are those of us who are of the younger generation. So you guys pay attention too. See, there's this mindset out there, 24 hours a day, bombarding us to make us think that the world offers to us that which will make us truly alive. And listen carefully, it is satanic in nature. See, what do you mean by that? Okay, let's look at the passage of Scripture. So get your glasses and your Bible out with me, all right? And listen to what it says. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And the word that he uses for ways there in the Greek means undertow. I don't know if you've ever been to the beach or not, but have you ever felt the experience of an undertow pulling you? I have. It's scary. Well, this isn't such a scary undertow. It should be, but we, we kind of like it. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the world around us, the world system, not nature, but the world system is always pulling, 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 drawing with gravitational force, trying to bring us away from God and to itself. Now, here's the question. Where's that force? Where is that power coming from? That, that pull, that attraction that's in the world. Paul answers it for us. Look at what he says. Following the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that Greek there means murky atmosphere, The spirit, he's talking about the devil here, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul says, what's behind the world, what's creating this gravitational pull on us is demonically inspired. Folks, we are not alone. You and I are surrounded by an unseen supernatural world. Satan is a real being that God created that rebelled against God. And when Satan fell, there were legions, countless number of angels who fell with him, who we refer to now as demons. And they are scattered throughout the murky atmosphere around us, and they are working in concert with fallen humanity to pull us away from God, to work against God. Now, before you shut me off or say, that's just too weird for me let, me, let me keep going. You listen in, because I'm telling you what, if you're at all alive, you can't help but realize there's something going on in our world right now that's really strange. It goes beyond, you know, just humanity. See, Satan is at work oppressing, 
obsessing, and in some cases, possessing people and systems. And he uses systems, economic systems, political systems. He uses all kinds of systems, all right, to move and pull us away from God. Now watch carefully and listen with me. Satan uses those things to attack or, or to entice two specific areas of our lives. Look what Paul says here. He says, you have fallen the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying, listen carefully, the cravings of our sinful nature and following desires and its thoughts. In other words, what Paul is saying is Satan knows that the most vulnerable part of our life are our feelings, desires, cravings. See, back in Genesis, before man fell, he was God-centered. I believe that when man fell, he replaced God with his feelings. And now we are all feeling-centered. Even the most logical person here this morning is still feeling-centered. Even if you're Mr. Spock from Star Trek, you still have feelings. And I can tell you that because how do you feel when somebody acts or behaves illogically? It upsets you, doesn't it? No matter how rational you are, we all have feelings. And Satan plays on those desires in our life, and those desires are to feel fulfilled. Those desires are to feel alive. When you're dead, what do you want to be? You want to be alive. And, and so Satan says, here, come over here. I'll make you alive. And he uses two ways. First, he uses enticement, sensuality. He says, I'll make you feel alive through sensual things. We are in a sensually driven culture. Big time. Big time sensually driven culture right now. And, and there's so many ways to get hooked on it. The second thing he uses is intimidation, fear. And he uses fear to corral us. He uses fear for a purpose, for a reason. Because when you are fearful, what do you want? You want to be rescued. You want to be saved. When you're scared, you want somebody to rescue you. You want somebody to save you. And that's what Satan wants us to wants to have happen in our lives in this world he wants to become so intimidated so afraid that we will open ourselves up to the savior that he wants to send us and he's preparing us all for it folks now if you don't believe me i challenge you to look at the culture today look at your news look at the internet look at the television and there are two predominant themes that you will find sensuality and fear am i right sensuality, and fear. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, just because you're a follower of Christ does not mean that you're not vulnerable to those issues. You and I are very vulnerable. In fact, the great fear I have is that we have gotten so used to living in this kind of world, we don't even know the darkness we're living in. It seems like light to us. This is kind of funny. The other day when I was traveling, I was praying, I was on the plane, and I was reading Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, and And I remember praying and saying, God, please help me to discern darkness from light. Help me not to become comfortable in this world, used to the the garbage in this world. Help me not to do that. Help me to see clearly truth from darkness. And when I was done, I looked up. I was on a plane, and I looked up, and there was the screen hanging down, you know. And they had sitcoms going on it. No words. Didn't have the earplugs in. And I'm watching, and I'm watching sensuality all over the place on the screen. 
And I'm thinking, I live in a freak show. I live in a big top where it is the wildest, strangest stuff that's being portrayed in front of us all the time. Why? To draw us away from God. To draw us away from God. To destroy our lives. I mean, the news today is not the news anymore. It's entertainment. Right? It's all about Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson. You know, it's all about half-clothed women or no-clothed women. It's all about pornography. It's all about sensuality. Folks, where is that stuff coming from? It's coming from the pit of hell itself. It's all being generated by Satan. Why? Because he knows what we are vulnerable to and to draw us away. And there's some of you who are followers of Jesus Christ right now, and you're going to that stuff thinking that it's going to make you feel alive. Guess what? It will for a few minutes. And then, boom, you crash. And you young people, listen carefully to me, man. Satan's got his crosshairs on you guys. He wants to destroy you, your, your lives, and he's using sensuality, man, all the time. In the music, in the videos, in the video games you guys play, it is there 24 hours a day. You know it, I know it. Let's not argue about it. But you also look at the news today, and it's all filled with fear, isn't it? I mean, fear on every hand. Economic fear, political fear, you know, are there going to be missiles in, or, you know, are there going to be uh, ships with missiles in Cuba and, and from Russia and all, you know, South America and all this stuff. All this stuff that's going on around us. Fear, fear, fear. Why? So we'll all be set up for who? The false messiah. The antichrist. You know, 50 years ago, if I present said that, we all go, oh, brother, he's been reading, you know, what wackos he's been reading. But you and I hear that stuff now and we go, oh, I can see how that could easily happen. We are all lining up like ducks for it. And Paul says because, because we lived in that kind of world and thought and believed that the world could make us alive, we were actually dead. And he goes on and he says, and deserving of God's judgment as a result. Now that's not really very good news, is it? So I am so thankful for verse 4. Let me start from the beginning. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But I love verse 4. I love the first word. He says, But... Say it with me. But, what part of speech is that, English majors? Conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up clauses, phrases, and verbs. Right? I used to watch television when I was a kid. That's how I learned my English. About the extent of it, too, right? But, he says, and thank God for that but in Scripture. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us who were dead, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 that his resurrection power has been exercised toward us and for us and in us. We were walking dead in our lives, dead in our marriage, dead in our job, dead in our relationship. And God looked at us with pity and mercy and sent his son Jesus Christ down here to raise us back to life again. Amen? Amen. 
fact, in Romans chapter 5, Paul goes on in that passage, the opposite of those verses I read you. He said, as by one man sin came into the world, and so death and sin passed on to all mankind. He says, through one man, Christ Jesus, salvation and grace entered into the world. And grace and salvation has been passed on to every man and woman that God chooses who receives eternal life. We have been set free. We have hope. We have such encouragement. Our Savior came to rescue us and give us life. Phil Michael was training to climb Mount Everest in 2007. He was going to climb it this year in 2009. He was on Mount Rainier. And he was descending Mount Rainier when all of a sudden snow blindness hit him. A snowstorm just came over and descended on top of that mountain. Because he was experienced, he knew what to do. As he descended down, he made it to a large area called Muir Snowfields, where he heard two voices, but he couldn't see because of the whiteout. But he thought he recognized the voices, the voices of an older couple he had met before at the base camp. So he deviated from his path down and went and followed the voices for a mile, not able to see them until he was 20 feet from them, Now, this part's kind of funny. He overhears the woman saying, I told you we should have brought a better map. (laughs) And he hears the man vomiting and saying, we're going to die. He catches up to them. They build the snow uh, uh, cave and wait out the storm for two and a half days. And then he leads them down the mountain. And I want to just read to you kind of the the report on it. Some of it are, are his words. The rest of it is from a reporter. The first thing they said to me, said uh, Michael, is do you know where we are? He said, I know you are off course. In fact, being off course on your snowfield in whiteout conditions can be deadly. At one point, the woman said, thank God we ran into somebody who has a clue. When Michael didn't make it down the mountain himself, his friends reported him missing. But rescue rangers had to wait for the weather to clear to start the search. Two and a half days later, when searchers started up the mountain, they met Michael walking down with the hikers in tow. Now listen carefully. Quote, the ranger asked if I'd seen the lost climber, Phil Michael. Michael said, I said, I'm Phil Michael and I'm not lost. I deviated from my course to rescue these two hikers who were lost, and now they're safe. And when I read that, I thought of Jesus Christ. And I thought of what Paul says in Philippians, how how our Lord deviated his course and came down and became like a man and died on the cross in order to rescue you and me and put us back on the right course, the right path again, so that we could know salvation. Don't you love Jesus? Aren't you so thankful that God saw you and me in our dead condition and set us free? There are three powerful lessons for us to remember from this passage. The first one is this, that being alive in Christ starts by recognizing that I'm dead in sin. I gotta put my pride aside and say, God, I can't save myself. The second huge lesson we learn in this passage is this. We learn that being alive in Christ means drawing my life from him and not the world. Those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, 
listen carefully to me. Why not give your heart to Christ today? Stop thinking the world's going to make you alive. It's just dragging you under. Filling your life so full of fear. For those of us who are followers of Christ, why do we keep turning to the world? Why do we, why do we keep thinking that the world can make us alive? Haven't we learned our lesson yet? Which takes me to the third and final lesson, and that is simply this. That being alive in Christ means allowing him to rescue me and embracing him as my what? As my eternal guide. Would you bow your heads this morning? Maybe there's somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I'm a spiritual corpse right now, and I need Jesus in my heart, and I'm ready to embrace him today. I'm tired of looking to the world. I want to look to Christ. If that's you right now, where you are, would you just raise your hand so I can pray a prayer with you and for you to receive Christ today? doesn't matter how young or how old you are. Say, Pastor, I want to receive Christ today. If you've raised your hand, would you pray this prayer with me silently where you are? Lord Jesus Christ, I confess to you today that I'm a spiritual corpse. I am dead in sin. I have trespassed. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to cleanse me. And I ask you to make me alive in Jesus today. I receive your son. I receive his grace. I accept his forgiveness. I am forever yours. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, have you strayed back into the world again? God's amazing grace in your life and you've strayed. Listen, God says he'll forgive you. Right now, right where you are, would you just say, God, I'm sorry, I've been trespassing again. I know I haven't lost my salvation, but I certainly have lost fellowship with you. I'm sorry, and today I'm getting back on the right path. Father, you know our hearts this morning. I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for what you're doing for us. God, we want to be men and women and young people of grace. We want to be alive, not in the ways of this world which are passing away. We want to be alive in Christ. So God, defeat the enemy today. Fill us full of yourself. Become our main attraction. Thank you for the reminder this morning that it is amazing grace. It is amazing grace that has saved us. Would you all stand this morning as we sing that song? And when we're done, don't leave because I have a very, very important announcement that you want to hear. But let's sing first.